This week on Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. I think his instincts are to be pro-Israel, but all these people that work in his administration and in his White House, their instinct is to be for Hamas. Their instinct is to be anti-Semitic because that's, that is the instincts and the DNA of the modern left. He's not a modern person, so that DNA maybe doesn't exist in him. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. Some pretty incredible poll numbers out in the uh, presidential race, as well as uh, Joe Biden specifically. We have a tragic uh, rise in anti-Semitism in this country, and we have a very interesting speech on Thursday, on Wednesday by the majority leader. This is Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. I'm Joe Arnold, your roundtable host. Jared Crawford's here. Kevin Grout is here. One last show. Yep. One and, more time. And Scott Jennings is here. I'm here. Fantastic. I haven't had to go anywhere for a while. It's been amazing. You were yeah. on call. Uh, yeah. Next week, though, I'm going uh, to Washington and New York. We got some TV to do next week. Everyone had a good Thanksgiving? So, so you, you used all that time put up some Christmas decorations. Yeah, I have like 20 inflatables. Yes. Yeah, that's terrible. Uh, <laughs> terrible. Lights. We have all kinds of stuff. Jared, good Thanksgiving? Yeah, it was good. I got uh, I got stuck putting up my parents' Christmas lights, so mine haven't gone up yet, but my parents got up last weekend, so uh, I'm a little bit behind on the inflatables and, and lights, but we'll get there. <laughs> we had a... Uh, I, I, I escaped Thanksgiving because I was very concerned about, I almost had a Clark Griswold moment with the turkey. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. Because I... What, what, did you cook it too long? Yes. So, well, I the, the temperature was right on the big green egg, and, and it was, it was I had it, and I, I pulled it actually early, I thought, put the thermometer in there, and it should come out of like 168, I think, is what they say the temperature be of the poultry. It went to 168 and just kept on going <laughs> pretty quick. It was more than 200 <laughs> oh, degrees. My. So I'm thinking this thing is cooked. Make I mean, the gravy quick. So I ran yeah. to Kroger. Found oh, Catherine, a, I think it's fine. Found, a, found, found a, the heart. Found a, found a very helpful person at Kroger, and I told him. I said, and I told him. He said, well, he said you might be able to. to uh, you might be able to, to to salvage this. He said, what what happened? And I told him. He said, no, it's it's dead. So I, he said, so I bought a uh, I bought a turkey breast that was like pre prepared from from uh, from the deli, and I put that in the oven for an hour. Has it turned out though? The turkey had been so well brined, it actually was still moist, and it tasted great on the inside. So I got rave reviews, and we had extra turkey because of the boar's head. There you go. So you made two turkeys. Made two turkeys. There great, you go. great story. How about <laughs> – and, and that story could have been told in five seconds. Well, you know, I made two turkeys. How was your th- – <laughs> Kevin, how was yours? It was great. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> All right, we are recording this uh, edition of Flyover Country with Scott Jennings uh, on the evening of uh, Wednesday, November 29th, year of our Lord, 2023. It is 10 minutes until 10 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. What are we on here? Does it matter? Anyway, we're saving it. Henry Kissinger has passed away at the age of 100, statesman and someone. I'm I'm the only one old enough here to actually remember him as Secretary of State. And, uh, I mean, an imposing figure uh, throughout the Nixon administration, Nixon going to China, the uh, end of the Vietnam War, Middle East negotiations over time, certainly during the oil embargo, and then, of course, the Cold War in general. So Henry Kissinger, dead at 100. World-shaping 
diplomat, I read somebody tweeted, celebrated and reviled, according to the New York Times. Comes the same week as uh, Rosalind Carter being remembered uh, as well. So there's very some, some notable figures from the 1970s. Now, uh, now history. Now we go to speaking of history. Speaking of notable figures from the 1970s, Joe Biden. Yes, <laughs> that is a good point. Is having it, man. Yeah, we'll get to him. I do want to oh, get. Yeah. I'm gonna get right away if we yeah, can to. Um, we we had talked about this a moment ago. The tragic and just uh, nonsensical acceptance of anti-Semitic comments and and vitriol in this country is 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 shocking. And the the highest ranking political leader. Of uh, who is Jewish in American history, Chuck Schumer, the majority leader, uh, finally went to the Senate floor on Thursday, and I'm I'm sorry, on Wednesday, Wednesday. I'm I'm off by a day, and uh, and gave these remarks. I rise in this chamber today. I am speaking up to issue a warning informed by lessons of history too often forgotten. No matter what our beliefs, no matter where we stand on the war in Gaza. All of us must condemn anti-Semitism with full-throated clarity wherever we see it before it metastasizes into something even worse. Because right now, that's what Jewish Americans fear most. The spike in anti-Semitism we're experiencing right now in America began after the worst instance of violence committed against Jewish people since the Holocaust. The vitriol against Israel in the wake of October 7th is all too often crossing a line into brazen and widespread anti-Semitism, the likes of which we haven't seen for generations in this country. So, you're not going to hear me say this often. Thank God for Chuck Schumer right now, because that what he did on the floor today, and I would encourage you to listen to all of it, absolutely necessary tough message for the Democratic Party, which is, I think, swirling into the gutter of anti-Semitism right now, and a necessary message for the country. Uh, This is not a partisan issue, but we are awash in anti-Semitism. College campuses, cities, uh, Hollywood, uh, you know, famous celebrity types, like people, obviously our children are being brainwashed on this. You got kids chasing teachers around high schools. It's everywhere. And so hats off to Chuck Schumer today. I saw several Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, Kevin, uh, congratulate and associate uh, themselves with his remarks. But everybody ought to be able to objectively look at this. And honestly, there have been more than a handful of Democrats who deserve some kudos here. John Fetterman, Mm -hmm. again, things you don't (laughs) expect to say out loud. They finally put a suit on this guy, and he like becomes a you know a, a senator. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but he has been rock solid on this. Yeah. Uh, but why why are some and some haven't by the way? Why, yeah. why are some that are even perhaps more notable uh, and and high profile and and effectual in in in, in the Democratic Party or in national politics? Why are some sitting on the sidelines on this and not being more forceful in this? Well, they live in fear of this base. Look at the polling. Right. I mean, you've got all these young Democrats who are essentially pro Hamas. Mm-hmm. And you can see it in Joe Biden's poll numbers. You know, they're abandoning ship. They don't like it when he 
uh, says things like, hey, Israel's our friend, Israel's our ally, they hate it. You've got, uh, um, you know, states where the uh, big Arab-American populations like Michigan that are people are out, there was in the news this week, people are out saying, oh, we, there's more than enough votes here to take this state away from Joe Biden. So you have all these Democrats who essentially are willing to uh, accommodate, give quarter to, uh, and otherwise, you know, sort of uh, paper over anti-Semitism so as not to get on the bad side of all these uh, young wokesters in their party. Because, I mean, it's not just mean tweets that we're dealing with here. It takes a lot of courage to stand up to these protests. I mean, just tonight, yeah, a group of pro-Hamas protesters were taking on the NYPD at the Rockefeller tree lighting. Like, they were pushing barriers back and forth in a violent scuffle. Um, it, it, it takes real political courage to stand up to the mob, which is what this is. That's what Chuck Schumer did today. This was not just like a statement. This was not just a passing thought. It was a 40-plus-minute speech that he, I mean, in no one's, he, he, he specifically called out, especially one of the big tropes from the river to the sea, that members of his own party have been using. He which called means it, the eradication of Israel. He yes. called it out for what it is, anti-Semitic hate speech. And, and he did it on a day following a tweet from Joe Biden, which I don't think yeah. got enough attention. But Biden finally tweeted yesterday, Hamas unleashed a terrorist attack because they fear nothing more than Israelis and Palestinians living side by side in peace. To continue down the path of terror, violence, killing, and war is to give Hamas what they seek. We can't do that. Essentially, essentially saying... It, I mean, the way I interpreted it, Jared, was Israel is now is now committing terror, violence, and murder, and we can't do that. And then you hear privately he's telling Netanyahu they're going to have to dial it back in Gaza. I mean, it, it is obvious to me that Joe Biden is freaked out about the politics of this, and it took just a couple of weeks, a few weeks of this, but he has caved. He's totally caved on what Israel has to do to defend itself, Jared. Yeah, I think that's what's so important about Schumer speaking up on this. And and we, you know, when we talked about this in the in the aftermath of, of October 7th, it was still sort of like, yeah, the idiots on The View and those idiots on college campuses. Like, it, I don't think we, we really, like, grasp how, how much of a, a wave of anti-Semitism we were going to see really across this country. And, and like you mentioned, Scott, from... Hollywood to, to academia. And so I imagine they're looking around. I thought one of the things Schumer said today that was really powerful was he, you know, he said uh, the people who, who Jewish Americans had thought were sort of like their fellow travelers on a lot of these things are now the ones chasing them, you know, out of their own places of work and all this. And to not have a president or people within your own party sort of being like, no, 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 we are still your fellow traveler. We are on your side really powerful for Schumer to say, no, like this is like, this is not, we need to like draw a very, you know, distinct line in the sand here on this. And so I thought it was really powerful. I mean, there are Democrats who, first of all, anti-Semitism has existed on the left for years. The media refused to acknowledge it. Democrat leaders refused to acknowledge it. And they papered over it during the Trump years. Whoa, Charlottesville, Charlottesville. So now it's on full display, and you have all these people, oh, gosh, we had no idea there was all this anti It's always been there. Just listen. I mean, my God, Al Sharpton has a show on MSNBC. Right. It's been there. This is part of the DNA of the American left. 
And now something's going on in the world, and they're like, this is our time. We're coming out. And Joe Biden and his people, I actually think Biden's instincts, because he is a politician effectively of, of the past, I think his instincts are to be pro-Israel. But all these people that work in his administration and in his White House, their instinct is to be for Hamas. Mm-hmm. Their instinct is to be anti-Semitic because that's, that is the instincts in the DNA of the modern left. He's not a modern person, so that DNA maybe doesn't exist in him. But we have seen him in the course of his career time and again on issues like abortion and others drastically move when it suited him mm-hmm. or when he thought that the DNA of his party had moved on. So I have no doubt that you give this another couple of weeks, Kevin, and he's going to be out there you know, he'll be kneeling wearing a Palestinian flag or whatever that the Democrats in the House did during the riots a couple of years ago. And that's why you're starting to hear subtle moves out of the White House about putting conditions on aid to Israel. Yes. It is It is the now topic. It's not, we just need to support our friends there. It's, well, we need to support them if they're doing what we want. Speaking of which, on the on, we, we, we heard from Chuck Schumer a moment ago, the senator from New York, uh, with that powerful speech on Wednesday— I believe it was on Tuesday, or was it was it, was it earlier? It was Tuesday was uh, during uh, the gaggle with reporters at the Ohio clock there in the off the Senate floor. Uh, a reporter asked the, the Republican leader of the Senate, Mitch McConnell, about this whole thing you bring up, Scott, about conditions on Israeli aid. Israel funding. Uh, Senate Democrats are currently debating this idea of whether to place conditions on the funding. One of the arguments in favor is that Congress does this for nearly every other country that it gives uh, foreign military assistance to. What is your response to that? I think it's ridiculous. Uh, Our relationship with Israel is the closest national security relationship we have with any country in the world. And to condition, in effect, our assistance to Israel on their meeting our standards, it seems to me, is totally unnecessary. This is a democracy a great ally of ours, and um, I do not think we need to condition the support that hopefully we'll give to Israel very soon. Now, what's what's vital about McConnell's statement, which, by the way, was a blunt, clear-eyed... I mean, the Senate is the adult in the room this week, but, but this phrase, meeting our standards, because with this president, the standards change all the time. I mean, that's the problem, is that if you had, if you had given them aid... Five weeks ago, four weeks ago, six weeks ago, the week after it happened, there would be no conditions. Well, now the politics in his own party have changed. And so now Joe Biden's like, well, I'm going to micromanage this based on our standards. Well, what are they? Who's going to set those standards? The people that are trying to rip down the Christmas tree in Rockefeller Center tonight or the people that barricaded the Democrat congressman inside the DNC? Biden's going to try to meet their standards. So McConnell's exactly right about this. And to hear him say that and Schumer make his statement, I I think McConnell and Schumer are going to end up saving Biden from himself here. I guess he has to say what he thinks he needs to say for politics, but for policy, Mm -hmm. McConnell and Schumer are going to save this guy. I think what's so offensive, too, about the farther we get away from October 7th, the sort of like less of initiative to, to just, you know, sort of have this like full throttled assistance to Israel is that in those weeks, these senators and seemingly President Biden have seen more and more footage from October 7th and seen more and more war crimes and more and more evidence 
according to the the crimes of Hamas on October 7th. And more and more, you know, Jewish people attacked and blood smeared on Jewish monuments and names and libraries. And to see all of that and be like, eh, I'm not as supportive as I was. That is so crazy to me. Uh, uh, Senator Schumer talked about watching some of that footage from October 7th. I think he said, I just had to sit by myself and just sort of like recompose myself to see that and not be like, no, we, we can't like, there's again, it, like it's so offensive to me for them to have seen all these things and hear the testimony and see these families who are still waiting for hostages and be like, eh, well, you know, maybe we'll throw some kids. It's just crazy. To the, me. the week before the Sunday before Thanksgiving, I went up to Washington state of the union and I was waiting on the side while Congressman Jamie Raskin was being interviewed by Jake Tapper. <laughs> and it, it and what had just happened a few days before was the barricading of the congressman in the Democrat National Committee. And Tapper asks Raskin, you know, what, what do you think about this? And, and instead of saying, this is ridiculous, this violent outburst cannot be, he said, well, I'm glad to see these young people taking an interest in, in political, uh, you know, activism. I mean, brother. <laughs> I mean, honestly. I, but that, but that's the kind of fecklessness that you can expect out of, I assume, the mainstream sort of establishment weather veins of the Democratic Party. They don't want to offend these people. And when a mob senses fear, when a mob knows they've got you on the run, that's when the mob swells and the mob is emboldened. And with statements like what Biden did and what you're hearing out of some of these other politicians, Joe, I, I have no doubt the mob is going to be... I mean, they were gluing themselves to the ground during the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, for God's sakes. It's going to get worse. Just to point out the, the fact of it's okay to be unnerved by and to hate war, okay? That, I mean, I think we all do. We, none of us want innocent people to be killed. There are innocent people who are being killed in Palestine. That is the fault of Hamas. That is the fault of a terrorist organization which has put themselves among the people, the innocent people of Palestine and that area. Not just that, using them as yes. human using, shields. Shields, shields. And so, the, so, yes, do you have a right to be outraged by what's going on? Absolutely, and you should be, because no one wants to see thousands of people killed. But bear in mind, this started October 7th. This, well, of course, it started long before that, but I'm saying as far as this current war, Israel is absolutely justified in their response because their very existence is being threatened, and it's being further threatened with every one of these anti-Semitic responses in this country. Yeah, I mean, this is the need for this is a this is a huge foreign policy moment for America and for the Biden administration. This is a defining moment for the Biden administration, and they're fumbling it. They're just saying, well, like, to your point, Jared, they're just saying, well, maybe no. This is. I mean, for all the things that Joe Biden has, has, has fumbled in foreign policy, from Afghanistan to the, uh, the, very, the slow walking of the response to the Russian invasion, this is probably going to be the absolute worst. This is going to be the defining moment, I think, of this administration because of the fact that we are completely, speaking of hostages, being held hostage by, not, by a radical, criminal, terroristic left, which somehow justifies terrorism. I, I, I don't, I've never thought, and to the point where we even saw, we talked about it, I guess, last time, people you know, bringing back up Osama bin Laden and saying, well, maybe we should be looking at re- revisiting 9-11 now. 
Is this truly what we have come to? And this is where Joe Biden needs to speak as clearly, emphatically, and with as much moral clarity as what Chuck Schumer did on Wednesday on the floor. But he won't. I mean, that, that's the thing we know about Joe. He, he will not. This is, I'm, just, I'm predicting it today. This is going to get worse. Joe Biden is going to continue to make more and more unclear statements that if you read between the lines, or maybe you don't even have to read between the lines anymore, he's, he's effectively going to end up siding with this mob because he has White House political advisors telling him, well, we can't lose Michigan. We can't lose Arizona. We can't lose, you know, there's there's plenty of young people and folks that are sympathetic to these causes in those states. I mean, you don't have that many votes to give. And so that that's what he does. I don't think he really has any core values. I think he has instincts, and I think he came of age at a time when, you know, being for Israel was the thing to be. But it, but, but the main thing he is is a politician who is a, who's a weather vane. He'll do whatever he has to do and say whatever he has to say at the time. There's an uh, economist YouGov poll out tonight. So in this Hamas-Israel conflict, who are your sympathies, sympathies with? Age 18 to 29, equivalent, 22% for each. That's who he's worried about. Mm-hmm. That's who he's worried about. And as you get older, you see Israel support going up. Age 30 to 44, 28 Israel, 13 Hamas, 45 to 64, 43% Israel, only 7% Hamas. 65 and up, 58% Israel, 5% Hamas. Among liberals, among liberals, 22% Hamas, 19% Israel. Among moderates, 31 to 12 Israel. Among conservatives, 67 to 3. I mean, I feel like it's not too hard to tell the good guys from the bad guys here. Right. Except Democrats can't seem to do it. Schumer can, which is, thank God, again, for Chuck Schumer, but Biden is wobbly on this now. Yeah, I mean, did you guys see this clip of that? Um, I don't know what city it was, but they they tried to pass an ordinance condemning the actions of Hamas. Oakland, the, Oakland. Oakland, okay. This, yeah, this, classic. Bi- your, this video, Jared, is incredible. Yeah. What was going on like, in that city count? You hear about this? I have not. Tell them, Jared. Yeah, so they, they tried to pass an ordinance uh, I think it was actually calling for a ceasefire, which is one of these sort of like brain dead idiot things. But um, within it, oh wait, they condemn- the city of Oakland wants us to stop fighting. Oh well, <laughs> oh, now yeah. no, it, it yeah. gets better. It gets better. And so there was a line they wanted to add in there that condemned the actions of Hamas on October seventh. Again, any normal person would be like, yeah, he's shooting up a music festival. Not cool. All of these people lined up, of course, masked, you know, to the nines with their whatever, and. I mean, not just like objecting it, claiming that Israel was killing their own people on October seventh, claiming that the, the Alex Jones type. It's crazy. The Hamas left in this country mm-hmm. is now essentially QAnon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is the Democrat QAnon. The difference is they have rabid supporters in the mainstream media and in Congress. And, and the White House. And, I mean, that that's the difference, is the stuff that Jared is talking, he's accurately reflecting this. You, I mean, you might read that in the Hamasington, I mean, Washington Post. <laughs> and and, and you know, this idea of these conspiracy theories, but it has completely infected the left, Jared, and, and, it's, and it's so rapid, and they're so willing to believe it. We, how many years in this country did we spend wringing our hands over the rise of conspiracy theories. Where, where are those hand ringers now? They're the ones pushing it. They're the ones pushing it. That's what's crazy it, it, about it. 
Let's talk yeah, about college campuses, if we can, and let's go to Brown University. Oh, man. Where the president of the university, Christina Paxson, was speaking at a vigil on Monday night. Tragically, and again, just to point this out, we can all agree that no one should be gunned down on this. No one should be attacked for, for their religion or for their nationality or anything else. There were three Palestinian origin students who were home for Thanksgiving break in uh, Burlington, Vermont. Uh, and and were shot. Now we don't know what the motivation of the shooter was, but it's 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 believed to be that it was motivated because of their of their background. So what the Brown University is where one of these students attended. They were holding a vigil on Monday night to, for him and for the other students. And Christina Paxson was speaking here. Uh, let's let's go to her and I'll and I'll and I'll fill you in on some more details as we listen to her, her remarks there. Sadly, we crowd. can't control. What happens around the world and across the country, we're powerless to do everything we'd like to do. But there's so much that we are doing and continue to do. So here's the mob. So here's the mob. So she's trying to say, let's all be peaceful. Let's remember the people who are attacked. Now, in a moment here, she's going to quote the, the prepared remark she was going to say was, every student, faculty, and staff member should be able to proudly wear a Star of David or Donna on the Brown campus or to cover their head with a hijab or a yarmulke. A, a vigil for your friend, our friend, our student. She wants to say this line. Now she's being shouted down. There are people now surrounding her on the steps behind her at the lectern. So suddenly, on the fly, she takes out the part. Let me tell you how I was going to end this, which was... I was going to say that at a faculty meeting last month, I said that every student, faculty, and staff member should be able to proudly don a kafia on the Brown campus or to cover their head with a hijab. Okay, now but wait. those comments. Now wait. Yes. She omitted. Yes, Star of David and Yamaka. So in her prepared remarks, yes. in her prepared remarks, she was going to say you should be able to wear... These symbols of your religion, whether you're Jewish or Muslim. Correct. In front of the mob. Correct. She omitted Star of David, Yamaka. There is nothing more crystallizing than this moment, Jared. Unbelievable. This is, this is the power of the mob. And this is what you're seeing. This is a microcosm, then, of what you just talked about before. Why other notable politicians yeah. haven't said more because they're all f- afraid, Jared. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's why Schumer's speech was so important. It goes back to sort of what we started with, right? Like if these people are not willing to look at these children, these like the adults in the room should be able to look at the children and be like, you guys are wrong. You, you, you're, you're on the wrong side of this one. And it's crazy that they cannot do that. It's just crazy. So Biden's poll numbers, uh, by the way, let me, yes. let me, these college campuses and some of the people, so the people you see on college campuses, the the protesters in front of the DNC, you know, the folks at Rockefeller Center. I, I've been thinking about this this issue over the last several years. We've had numerous instances in this country where something happens, and then a mob forms mm-hmm. for the purpose of engaging in as much civil violence as they can get away with. Mm-hmm. I'm just starting to think that for some of these people, the causes are not as important, important. as the opportunity. Well, the so yeah. so because I because I don't know, like when those people were barricading the DNC people in, like there was a lady like screaming at the cameras. I'm like, I think I saw 
I saw this lady at the COVID protest, too, <laughs> and Roe v. Wade. And when Kavanaugh was up, and, and yeah. during George Floyd. I, and and so I, I just, I, I feel like there is a dedicated group yeah. on the left that the cause is secondary to just the opportunity for civil violence. Now, I do think some of these people are deeply anti-Semitic. Um. And and that's why they're participating. But I, I do, Kevin, think there is a sort of a roving mob that's constantly in search of the thing to be mad about today. And not just mad about it, but use it as the opportunity to commit, you know, violence, property destruction, uh, you know, disrupt public activities. Like it, it's like it, that's what they think they've they're supposed to do. And they're so easily drawn into whatever the cause is of the moment. The the case in point, the people who protested at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and glued themselves to the street, they were shouting for Palestine and the climate. Two <laughs> issues that I don't really see where they intersect. And rent control. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. It's, well, uh, how can I get my issue out there? Well, what's, what's hot today? Well, you, you've also had these people like going to protests like LGBTQ, you know, for Palestine. I'm like... <sighs> Do you understand what would happen to you personally? You would be executed. If you lived yes. <laughs> in in Gaza. I mean, it, so I just, I don't know, Jared. I, I see some of these people, and I just, I, I think there is a growing group that is dedicated to civil violence, mob behavior. And so much of the attention on this in this country for the last couple of years on this kind of behavior was focused on what? January the 6th. Mm-hmm. Nobody seems to be threading the numerous acts of civil violence and civil disobedience and property destruction and public demonstration and public disruption that seems to be a thread through all of the left-wing causes, you know, that essentially started, I mean, you could maybe tie it back to the beginning of Trump. Some of it goes back to George W. Bush. But I think about the time Trump came along, you just you saw these mobs start to form around these causes and and honestly they've gotten away with it you know you're able, you're able to burn down buildings and smash windows you're able to occupy i mean the Brett Kavanaugh protesters occupied the US Capitol mm-hmm. was that an insurrection i don't know i mean i i, I there's there's a certain behavior that these these mobs on the left mm-hmm. are able to do and there appear to be no consequences yeah, we can only hope it's like actually just like a thousand of the same people, you know, like and they're just sort of like actually truly constant. I don't know, like maybe give Portland a night off and like they're burning out another city like the Portland police are probably celebrating. Um, yeah, I do think it is this uh, you hear this term thrown around a lot, but like this virtue signaling like that you have to be like if your college roommate is going to the protest, you have to be there, too, because you got to make sure everybody knows you're as righteous as the rest of them. Um, so I do think it's a little bit of that. Uh, I don't like the question to me is like, how big is this group? You know, are they going to grow out of this? It's every know, college you, campus in America. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. And, 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 and it's also, and, it's been well, a long-term, well, uh, effort to, uh, to, even if it is a minority, indoctrinate these people allowed, for, for generations. A loud minority. The, the, the other thing about these protests around that, around this war that I find amazing is, <laughs> Joe Biden ran for president 
really for two stated reasons. The, the principal reason, if you remember back when he launched his campaign, it was about Charlottesville. Then the other main promise that he made is, well, I will replace Donald Trump. That was really why he claimed to be running. So now, as we sit here today, uh, less than a year from his reelection, we have Charlottesville-like behavior, you know, on blast on every college campus in America about, and in, and so in, de- defending the the largest attack on Jewish people since the Holocaust. Okay, so 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 you ran because of Charlottesville, mm-hmm. and now you've you've got your own your own political. Base your own your own ideological colleagues are out perpetrating this, so you got that going on. And Donald Trump is now the favorite <laughs> to return to the White House. So your two things: stopping Charlottesville from ever happening again, and keeping Donald Trump out of the White House. We have Charlottesville's everywhere, and Donald Trump on the march. <laughs> Could there be a bigger failure in American politics right now than Joe Biden? So Scott, let me let me, let me flip ahead because I was talking about the, the, I mean, honestly. the the Gallup poll numbers, which we can talk about those in a moment here. But obviously, they're all on the crapper for for Joe Biden. But as is, that, was, is that the technical term? It is. Okay. Yes. Is if that you, what the pollsters are using? The political scientists. Thirty-seven percent of Americans approve of his job as president. Yeah. And, and on the handling of this situation in the Middle East and Israel and Palestinians, thirty-two percent approve of the job. And even and half of those you have to think are just saying it because it's it's you know it's Biden and I have to, but. Given the, the reality of what you just said, I think you're exactly right. And those were the reasons why he— It was it. That was the whole motivation. And given campaign. the fact that there's very little time to be able to turn this around, so the longer he's there running for, a, for re-election, the higher the likelihood that Donald Trump is returned to the White House, and he's obviously not going to say anything against the, uh, the, the, the terrorism against Israel. So given those two things— what are the chances that he's going to bow out or be forced out? I think zero. Zero. I mean, I know you you bring this up <laughs> and, and, every and, week. And, and every week, and who, there's wishful thinking. I, I mean, I guess he could quit and, and just, but I don't. It's do you, guys, do you guys want to play the sound from Kamala now? Or <laughs> I mean, I, he's very much alive. But That's it, what she but, said, right? But, but it, zero. This is it. So those. So. Later on, I guess, I guess Thursday, there's going to be a debate between Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, who, of course, I'm still predicting is going to be the Democratic nominee You've been in 2024. And I ho- you know what? If you're right, we will all acknowledge it. <laughs> I'm probably going right. to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I admit that. But I, I guess I'm. But at this point, I, I see, of course, we'll talk about Nikki Haley in a second as well here. But given the fact that, that Newsom's even doing this, of course, it's been a long time in coming. Isn't he tipping his hand? Isn't he saying, I am the heir apparent here because Biden's not going to survive and I'm going to be the person who steps in, not Kamala? Yes. He is a circling buzzard. Mm-hmm. He, he, is, he is literally just circling around waiting for Joe Biden's presidency to go away. That's, that's what he's doing. Have we heard – actually, I, I, I hate to ask a question I don't know the answer to, but uh, do we, have we heard Gavin Newsom on Israel, on Hamas? I wonder what his – I bet it comes up Thursday night. That'll be yeah. really, really interesting because it'd be great. Wouldn't it be something if he actually came out with a a clear, emphatic support of Israel? He, oh, he will not. He will not because in California. No but way. Wouldn't it be something if he did? No way. <laughs> so so way, Joe is creating his his uh, ideal Democratic nominee yeah. here. <laughs> uh, by the way, this, there is a piece up on Real Clear Politics, which I would encourage you, Joe, and everyone else to read. Just to educate myself. By Sean Trend, who I follow, 
And the headline is, not only can Trump win, right now he is the favorite to win. And he goes through all the polling and the state-by-state analysis. And, 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 but, but what he reminded me of, as you go back in time to 2016 or 2020, Donald Trump barely ever led any polls, mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. And he ended up winning in 16. He did not win in 20. But now, today, he's leading every national poll by a fair margin. He, he had never been the favorite. And in states right now, what was it we were talking about before the show? Well, Minnesota. The, the Minneapolis uh, newspaper tonight reporting that, that Trump is leading Biden in Minnesota. Yeah. Which I think is the home of the largest Muslim American population in, in, uh, in so, America. So I would just understand how bad of a shape Joe Biden is in. And independents are done with him. Republicans obviously hate him. That's a given. But his own base is so fractured right now. In the... And this YouGov economist poll tonight that I was just looking at, I mean, like something like 17% of Democrats are for Trump. Last weekend when I was up doing the show, the NBC poll that came out, like 20% of African Americans were for Trump. Young people are abandoning Biden. I mean, his coalition is shattering. And the way he won in 20 was like, you know, moderate, you know, college-educated suburban squishes. Well, he's pointing at me. <laughs> <laughs> and and I don't I don't sense that they're all that happy with his presidency or the economy or anything else. So this coalition that, that, that it's shattering. It's shattering before no one wants to like admit it or just say it as flatly. His entire electoral coalition is presently shattering. Shattering. And they're banking on one thing that these people will come to their senses because they hate Donald Trump so much mm-hmm. that they just won't be able to do it. That's it. That's their whole theory of the case. And there are plenty of people who will who will just sit it out. So I don't know what that what that number is. Who wins a presidential contest if squishes like me refuse to vote for anybody? Donald Trump. He who's got the most committed base in this race? Obvious. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. His people are coming out. He got 46% of the vote in two straight national elections. What do you reckon he's going to get in the next one? I would imagine 46. His base is committed. Committed. Biden's base don't look all that committed to me right now. And so I I think they're in <laughs> I think Biden is in great great danger of losing control of this thing here. And to your point, it would be smart if you could wave a magic wand and get a different nominee and maybe he will quit. I doubt it. Again, I think it's highly unlikely, but but he's in rough place, man. It's bad. I was watching. Uh, it's bad. Watching Biden on Wednesday at an event in Colorado, I did not realize. I, I certainly knew that the White House was had embraced the term Bidenomics, Jared. <laughs> um, you know, in terms of how they refer to the economy, even though I think that was just nonsensical. The fact that the, since the economy is just so awful and inflation has hurt American families so deeply, but that said, I did not realize that he literally is standing on a platform. On, on either side of the lectern with the presidential seal is the word Bidenomics. They mm-hmm. actually put it on the official yeah. uh, the platform. He literally is on a platform which says Biden. he is running on Bidenomics. How can you do that? Well, his campaign, Jared, has already spent like $25 million right. on advertising about yeah. it. I mean, they're all in. And the result of all this, by the way, <laughs> the result of all this in the Gallup poll that you referenced, 
So all this data was taken in the month of November. Joe Biden's approval rating on the economy is 32%. As bad as foreign affairs in the Middle East. 67 disapproved. So two to one disapproved to approve. And he's standing on a stage. Bidenomics is working. And, yeah. and what, they're, what they're saying about this is, oh, well, gas prices are down from 12 months ago. <laughs> Who was president when 12 months ago? Yeah. They, they never look farther back and that everything is still more expensive. Inflation is still taking a toll. But, oh, well, I mean, things are temporarily a little cheaper-ish. <laughs> It's also like the I don't know if you saw some of the like the the hoops they jump through for the Thanksgiving prices too. It was oh like my the one turkey breast that Joe bought was like point <laughs> one percent well, cheaper way, than it last was year. Extremely, it cost almost as much for that turkey breast for the entire turkey that I bought uh, the week earlier. Didn't, it was terrible. Didn't he come into it, office saying that the Fourth of July hot dog was like twelve cents cheaper? Or something? Yeah, it's like, those, try, took a whole week victory lap on that. There's another study out today that the uh, uh, average American family is spending $11,000 more on necessities, something like 95% oh. of people can't oh. afford a home. It's crazy. I'm glad you brought this up because tangential to this conversation, while Biden is tying himself in knots trying to explain how good you have it, so is the media. The mm -hmm. media has spent months writing stories that all basically have this theme. Well, gee whiz, we don't know what your problem is. Look at these charts and graphs. <laughs> and, that, and so tonight, CBS News. <laughs> so, so this tweet was, <laughs> CBS News produced a tweet today at 1.15 p.m. that says, the U.S. economy is doing even better than the government thought. Oh, a little six hours. That, that would be news to us. Kind of rosy. Six hours difference. Next tweet. Americans need an extra $11,400 today just to afford the basics. <laughs> same news organization. Same Twitter feed. Same feed. And then the Washington Post this weekend had this insane, I don't know if you read it, this insane article by that crazy nut Taylor Lorenz. Oh who was analyzing, you guys see the guy that tweeted about the hamburger and fries at McDonald's costing $16, whatever, and they were like debunking. <laughs> but it really did cost this guy wherever he was. And, and, and this whole article was about how, you know, things really aren't expensive and things are, it, 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 watching the media just self-immolate, trying to explain to you that you're as stupid and that you don't even... Know how good you have it, and things are not. There is no inflation. So you have Biden destroying his credibility right alongside the media, destroying what's left of its credibility, all all on something that is so blatantly obvious. Mm -hmm. Shit is expensive. Like, I don't know what else to tell you. It well, just is. And, of course, economists always find a way <laughs> to try to spin those numbers to your point because they can say, well, inflation is now back down to only like let's say, 3% you know, versus what it was before. The problem is all those other price gains uh, and inflationary gains are locked in. The yeah. media is so dishonest. Mm -hmm. They keep saying, oh, inflation is coming down. No. no. The rate, the rate of inflation, of inflation yeah. is slightly less than it was. Yeah. I'm a, there yeah, is still right. inflation. I'm, a still, I'm still shooting you. I'm just not shooting you as often. You know, I'm still I'm still attacking you, but I'm not I'm not attacking you as as, as <laughs> this is a lot of violence on this podcast. It is. That's violent. Hey, so, the economy but, is violent. But but that's how. But that's so dishonest. But but people don't believe it. Right. The reason his approval rating is thirty two percent on the economy 
is because anybody who goes to a grocery store knows it's expensive. Mm -hmm. Anybody who wanted to buy a car knows it's out of reach. Anybody who wanted to buy a house realizes now they can only afford half of what they thought they could get. Now, if I was a conspiracy theorist, I might suggest to you that this is all part of a long-term plot of class warfare. Because this is a situation where the more you can cast the haves versus the have-nots, the more you can show up on the picket line and say, I'm standing with the working class because how hard it is in this country, which we all can agree that it's gotten more and more difficult because of inflation. But instead, they want to be able to cast a different villain here. See, I thought you were going on a different conspiracy angle. Okay, Your normal one. I thought this was all a ploy to sell electric cars. Which they're not. <laughs> which, which they're not. <laughs> the report which, came out this year that it takes twice as long, I think. No. Uh, they're, they're, well, they, what, what's happening, and, and this is the true uh, group of people you don't want to upset, that all the auto dealers across the country have yeah. written a letter now to the president saying, no Stop mas, no mas. It. You cannot try to force this down America's throats because the – I mean, and, and the truth is, is that when, for instance, when the uh, F-150 Lightning was first debuted, there was a – a large waiting list mm-hmm. of people who were just very interested, the first you know, uh, yeah. adapters of these kind of things. Now these things are stacking up on oh, on, yeah. on, on listen, parking lots. Listen to this. So there was a report in Axios this morning about this exact thing. Mickey Anderson, who owns the Baxter Auto Group in Nebraska, Missouri, and Colorado, 20 dealerships, said when the lightning was coming out, he had nearly 200 refundable orders from early hand raisers. The list dwindled over time, resulting in 25 <laughs> Lightning sales out of a total of 1,000 F-Series trucks he sold last year. Sold 1,000 trucks, 25 were the Lightning. Hold, hold he's on, got, hold on, let me do math. Yeah, he's got 12. <laughs> That's not a lot. Let me, let me do it for you. It's not profitable. No. <laughs> he's currently got 12 Lightnings in stock, which is a six-month supply, and he's trying to unload them. With up to fourteen thousand dollars in Ford incentives and dealer discounts, in addition to the seventy-five hundred dollar federal tax credit, which I think you only get, Jared, if you are below a certain income threshold. Mm-hmm. And those aren't typically the people going out to buy electric. Yeah. No, well, the the car costs like a it costs a yeah. hundred grand and something. Mm. I, it ain't working. It's not working. It's not working. Well, and it's one thing for to your point before about the the CBS tweets and and the media perhaps trying to convince people that you know don't don't believe your lying eyes or what your whatever your experience is in life. It's something else. You cannot force someone, at least not yet in this country, to go buy something. No. And ultimately, that is going to be the decider here. And not and not only that, you also can't force someone to believe something that is in complete opposition to their lived experience. You, maybe a few you can. If, 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 they, if, if their ideology or their passions are so deep that they will truly believe something which does not exist. But, but these cars cost what they cost. That's true. And, and you can't walk in there and say, well, I thought these were cheaper. Can I write that check instead? <laughs> no, you have to write. But also on these vehicles, Consumer Reports tonight, electric vehicles less reliable than gas-powered cars and trucks. Electric vehicles have proved far less reliable on average than gasoline-powered cars, trucks, and SUVs, according to the latest Consumer Reports survey. 80% more problems with electric cars than internal combustion engines. If nothing else... 80%. So I've paid six figures for a car that I can't charge up sometimes because I can't find a charging place, Mm -hmm. so it's inconvenient, and it's breaking down 
And on its best day, it can go about an hour. I mean, and so what justifies the check you just wrote? Would you ever do it again? Of course you wouldn't. This is just yet another example, and we're reminded of it after many mistakes in our country's history, that capitalism works and a market economy is the best way to be able to determine the direction of the economy rather than trying for the government to have some kind of controlled economy and say, we're going to set up, here are the goals, and we're going to set up the policies so people will act in certain ways. No, don't interfere with people's behaviors, what people want. People let people decide those things on their own, and it the, the economy will prosper. I, I just I know we're building these battery plants here in Kentucky. I don't know, man. How are you going to build these battery plants if people can't sell well, twenty five? Again, this is, I mean, it, I just it, I don't it has, know. It has to do, and this is the same thing with the with the the rushed effort to try to uh, transition the entire U.S. energy uh, complex, and that is, I I do believe there is a future for electric vehicles in this country. It's just you can't force it within a, a ten year time period. Yeah, you know, I'm saying is let the technology in the same way as because people say, oh, you, people laughed at you know automobiles over horses, whatever. Yeah, I understand those those comparisons, but let the technology lead you rather than trying to by edict saying you shall buy this. We will, in fact, have X. I mean, they they set those goals. They said by 2030 we will have. Fifty percent of every vehicle of every of all vehicles sold will be EVs. You can't just say that. I mean, that is a control. That is China. That is there. I go again. China. That, that is the uh, that is the the kind of of controlled economy that you that you're trying to enforce in this country. It doesn't work. No, it does not work. It's rough out there for a Biden right now. For a Bidenomics. <laughs> Bidenomics. Look, look at the news coverage from uh, from Colorado from Pueblo. Pueblo. Well, he went to Lauren Boebert's district. Oh, is that right? That's why he went there. So he could basically name check Lauren Boebert. That's why he was in Colorado. That's what the president should be doing. Yes. Good so job. his his main issues over the last 24 hours have been cave in to this Hamas mob and then go like whatever, make fun of Lauren Boebert. That's what he's doing. So this uh, Gavin Newsom, um, Ron DeSantis debate on Thursday night was set up a long while ago when yeah. Ron DeSantis was the perhaps presumed, you know, secondary front runner. Obviously, Trump is the front runner, but I mean, it was number two. I don't know who if he, if he still is, but in the meantime, just within the last couple of days, the Americans for Progress AFP network, mm-hmm. the, the the Koch brothers uh, led group, uh, came out. What are you saying? Prosperity. What am I saying? Americans for prosperity. Americans for prosperity. Well, sorry about that. What, what's Americans for progress? That's the liberals. They probably wouldn't agree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, prosperity. Sorry, AFP. Or was it AFV? That's a whole uh. other show. Anyway, they came out in support of Nikki Haley and saying they're going to put the, all their resources, and she is the answer here. What does this say to you? I don't know. Nothing, really. I mean, the polling is still the polling. Nationally, Donald Trump is over 60% among Republicans. In Iowa, New Hampshire, he's far and away the leader. So it says nothing to me, honestly. And you've got Chris Christie saying he's going to stay in the race no matter what. Wasn't he in there to try to get rid of Trump? Wasn't that his, his main—he was, was like Joe Biden of, of the GOP primary. His main reason was to say, I'm going to be there to beat up Trump on the debate stage. Yes. And Trump is not showing up. So why doesn't Christie just drop out? I, I don't know. Great question. Why don't you call him? He th- he thinks he's he actually thinks he's in, he's improving in New Hampshire. Yeah. He thinks he's gonna he's gonna do something over there, and may, I don't know, maybe he will. But the reality is nothing. It doesn't mean anything to me. I mean, you know, Trump is not degrading really, and missing the debates hasn't hurt him really. I'm do I'm just frankly 
I mean, you guys tell me what you think. I'm just I, I always thought DeSantis had a chance because I thought there were more than half of the Republican Party could see their way into nominating a non-Trump candidate as long as that person had some fidelity to the Trump era attitude. That's not Haley. Haley is a pre-Trump era politician. She was a conventional establishment, you know, whatever the Republicans were at the moment, that's what she was kind of politician. And was a good one. And and I think has been by far the most polished debater in all these engagements. She she's been crisp, she's got the attacks, she's ready for the attacks on her. I mean, maybe she's a little overboard at times, but she you can see from the era of politics that demanded practiced precision, she's it. But that's not the era we're in. And I've always thought there's just not enough Republicans like that left to nominate someone like that if Trump is still the dominant candidate in the party. I don't know. What do you think, Jared? I mean, that's I, I just always thought there was a ceiling yeah. on her because of the era. Yeah. There, it, now, that doesn't make DeSantis better today because he's obviously floundering a little. But in terms of, like, what's your ceiling? Like, what could I get to? So the era of competent, articulate people is now over. <laughs> well, the Trump people Look say at the they, current president uh, of the United States. Right. The, the current people... I'm sorry, would, but yeah. the, current, no. the, the Trump people say they're not competent. Right. They're, they're part mm-hmm. of the reason we're in a mess. And so that's what you would say. Right. But that, but that opinion is the minority opinion. They would say the competent, you know, polished politicians, the elites... The smart, but those are the ones that got us in the mess in the first place. That is the dominant opinion, Jared. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I think Scott is right on that. Haley and others are are still trying to kind of pull the party back to what it was before and and not embracing what it is now. And so I don't know how. There's just too many people, especially in a primary. There's just there's just no way for her to do that. So I don't I don't really see the path. I think she's had some moments in debates where she's channeled some of that I don't know if it's like this machoism that Trump and and uh DeSantis have especially with the media and pushing back the way she's gone at at uh, Vivek specifically but um so maybe she's got the right attitude at times but I just think she's you know more of a policy focused moderate experience here's all the things i've done and the party is just you know okay like how are you going to fight for us how are you going to destroy the libs and it's it's just not what she is let me ask you guys a question i i heard someone debating this with himself but i want to hear what you think who is more likely to beat joe biden nikki haley or donald trump jared what do you think nikki haley joe nikki haley donald Kevin. trump Donald Trump. So, the the rat. So I was listening to I, one of my pods is uh, the rant by Dave Katniss, who's a political reporter from yep. McClatchy, and he was debating this with himself. And his rationale was that Trump is far more likely to beat Biden because if the Republican Party somehow doesn't nominate Trump, do we expect Donald Trump is just going to accept oh, that? Okay. Yeah. In, in in an era of in other words, okay, that's a good point. So and, yeah. if if you're asking me if the only candidates are at least, and, and, and we can probably also include RFK Jr. and Cornell no, West no, and his, others, but he, if he, it was mano a mano, so to speak, if it was Nikki Haley versus Joe Biden and Donald Trump was no longer um, a third-party candidate or anything else or trying to disrupt things, I think that she wins well, better than Trump. 
Okay, well, I mean, if she sprouted wings and flew around the stage <laughs> next week at the Republican debate, see, now I think she should do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, but, but his point. I see your point. No, that, that's a great point. But his point is, yeah. if the party is, does not nominate Trump, he's either going to go third party or he's just simply going to take some large chunk of people with him and yeah. say it was stolen from us. They took it away. It's all rigged. You cannot vote for these Republicans. Yep. This is what they do, and you need to sit it out and teach them a lesson, and that will be enough to mm-hmm. sink, whether it's Haley or DeSantis or anyone else. And so his his theory was, Kevin, that Trump's the only person. So so part of the argument in the primary has been, well, who's most likely to beat Biden? Yeah. And a lot of us, including me, have engaged in punditry saying, well, anyone could beat Biden if they're you know alive and south of 70 and not in jail. But Dave had a different theory, which is no one can beat Biden if Donald Trump is a loser, is, is still loses this is still around yeah. because he he will not permit it to happen. I mean, if you look at even just the governor's race here in Kentucky, Trump voters, you know, showed up at a lower percentage yeah. than Biden voters did. Yeah, I think there are people out there who like to go vote for Donald Trump, and they've done it once, they've done it twice, they want to do it a third time, and I don't think they'd go show up for anybody else. Now, well, I, I guess. Go ahead, Jerry. I, I, yeah, I guess the question there is: is which group is bigger, the group of people? Who will never vote for Donald Trump or the group of people who will only vote for Donald Trump? Oh, only vote for Trump. And I would think it's probably only vote yeah. for Donald Trump. So now I'm almost my brain now that I'm thinking more of it's kind of switching because. No, that now that group, you heard who's on our yeah. side, you're, you're coming over. <laughs> the, that group that will never vote for Donald Trump is enough to make you not win. But it's not bigger than the group that will only vote for Donald Trump. But, but I'm the whole- twisted. Yeah, I, I feel a- like I feel like this whole Republican primary has been about only one question: strategic voting. You have to vote for X in order to defeat Joe Biden. Trump says you have to vote for me to beat Joe Biden. Haley says I'm beating Joe Biden. DeSantis says, you know, I won't be in jail, therefore I'll beat Joe Biden. There haven't really been that many debates over issues or differences over it. It's, right. it's all been about strategic voting. And right now, if you were Donald Trump, you make two points: one. I'm beating Joe Biden. They said I can't beat him. I'm beating him. He's in the crapper, to use your term. And I'm going to beat him. The polls say I'm going to beat him. And number two, if you don't nominate me, my people will stay home. And so you can nominate anybody you want. It doesn't matter. So from a strategic perspective, Republican Party, nominate me or else you lose. There is no argument for nominating someone else. If I were in his shoes... That's probably what I would say. And you know what? It's a pretty darn good point. That's that's not necessarily a reason mm-hmm. to elect a president. But like I said, this primary has been about anything but reasons to elect a president. It's been 20 years since the person I voted for for president has been president. Oh. <laughs> What's the craziest vote you ever cast for president? <laughs> Give me an idea. Give me something. Think for myself. You voted for yourself? No, I, I, I try to think who I voted for. Who I, I wrote somebody else in. That I didn't vote for uh, Trump or Hillary. Uh, I'm trying to. Th- I, don't, I don't know. What's the craziest Later. vote? Have you ever like cast a vote that's so crazy you don't even want to talk about it? What, what was yours? In 1996, my first ever election. So I was a kid. I did get to vote in the Republican primary for president in Kentucky, which was inconsequential. Oh, I just thought of mine. Go ahead. But I voted for Alan Keyes. Uh huh. He was interesting to me as a 17. Okay. My my craziest vote was I voted for the the who was the the primary against uh, Trump in uh, 20, 
No, I'm sorry, not the prime minister. In the, in the general, who was the the? Oh, you voted for McMuffin. M- McMuffin. Oh my god, McMuffin. I did. So that is a crazy <laughs> vote. I somehow I knew that though. <laughs> that was my option. It wasn't myself. It was Evan McMullen. You voted for McMuffin. I did. Well, you you voted for Alan Keyes. I was eight. I was seventeen. <laughs> and Dole already had the nomination. You voted for McMuffin <laughs> as, as, as an adult. As an as an adult <laughs> with human gray, with gray hair. Unbelievable, <laughs> Kevin. You You're from Northern Kentucky. Don't you all in Northern Kentucky have like a town that has a dog for a mayor? Rabbit, rabbit, rabbit Hash. Rabbit hash. Yes. You, you didn't get a vote for him. I'm not from Rabbit Hash, but close. You're near there. Near there. Yeah. Jared, you live in a communist country now. Where, what do you <laughs> yeah, vote for? Yeah, true. I haven't voted here yet, but I mean, I voted <laughs> I voted for Gary Johnson. I mean, you I, did? Mr. Yes, I did. Mr. What is Aleppo? What is so Aleppo, exactly. That's yeah. maybe worse than McMuffin. I don't know. At least Gary Johnson's funny. Like, so he's entertaining. Never have, never will. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So at least I'm consistent. Loving that, loving that Hillary Biden life over there. No, <laughs> I didn't say I voted for them. <laughs> I voted for McMullen, and then for I don't know, whatever. I just i i find uh i find the the analysis about this whole primary to be so it's like so narrow like we're mm-hmm. you know it's not like we're ever having panels or like discussions like who, whose tax plan is gonna do this or that and who's it's it's everything about this primary has been nothing but strategic conversation about strategic voting and for so long it was you have to vote for x because trump can't win and now what i think is everyone's coming to the realization is that only trump can win and trump is benefiting from the all these polls showing him winning He's taken this whole strategic thing off the board, and he's never had to go to a single debate to do it. Right. That's what's crazy to me. Anyway, I think he's I think he's clearly still in charge of this primary. By the way, I don't I don't think they're very happy with Rana, the Trump people. I I don't. Uh, That's what I heard from Vivek. Well, I just I'm just telling you, I don't think they're very happy with her. If he if he goes on and gets the nomination i would expect change that's my that's just what i that's that's the vibe i pick up i don't know what you guys think we'll see seen red herd before we wrap up on this wednesday november 29th i have two could i do two you can do two first of all i just wanted to say how have two, two. how ridiculous it was that deadspin and that oh, no. idiot writer tried to tried to uh go nick sandman on that whatever five-year-old kid who was cheering for the kansas city chiefs and that pretty well got debunked almost immediately. But shame on them. I hope they get sued so hard. But in terms of something entertaining that I'm doing, I'm watching a new show on Paramount+. Plus. It's called Lawman Bass Reeves. <laughs> and it's fantastic. If you like Western stuff and, like, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, I love it. I've watched, like, the first four episodes. It's amazing. Lawman Bass Reeves. So that's what I'm doing. Highly recommend. What you got there, Kevin? I'm listening to a new book. Well, it's not new. It's new to me. Uh, Sally Denton's The Bluegrass Conspiracy about um, dope and drug trades here in Kentucky in the 70s and 80s. Did not know any of that was happening, but a um, lot, lot of familiar names going on in that book. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Jared? By the yeah, way, Jared is wearing... <laughs> I'm in full when, when We were having a debate about what it is. You called it a toboggan, but I grew up in the real world, and we called it like a... Stocking cap. Why did you leave that world? You now live in a fan- fantasy. I live in yours. <laughs> you anyway. call it. You call it a what? 
That's like a, it's just like a stocking hat or stocking cap. It's, what, it's, what that they, sounds like what Charles Dickens would have called it. I've got to right. be honest. What do they call it up there in uh, the People's Republic? Uh, People's Republic of Vermont. I would call it either a toboggan or a beanie is what I said. A like beanie. A is, it looks too beanie. substantial on the top to be a beanie. you got a lot of room up there. Yeah, It's like a yeah tall one. A beanie is something like you put a propeller on top of, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's, what's, what's your scene right here besides your hat? Um, I started a show called Murder at the End of the World. It's an FX show, but it's on Hulu. Uh, it's a mini series, kind of a thriller type show. But I don't know if anybody watched The OA on Netflix, if anybody's familiar with that show. It's by the same writers. And I love that show on Netflix. Uh, Britt Marling is who wrote it and started it. She's also in this show. It's very slow, but it's one of those shows where the ending is like the last episode makes the first six episodes worth it. And so it's slow and it would take some time uh, if you've either watched the OA or this show to get into it. We're four episodes in and I think we've got two left as it's airing the next two weeks, but uh, very, very good Mm. show so far. So uh, recommend it. I've got it on Hulu, but it's on FX as well. So I have three. Oh, my gosh. Ready? Number one, a salute to the outgoing chair of the Kentucky Republican Party, Matt, Matt Brown, Brown yeah. who uh, I don't know if he, has he officially announced it or is it just kind of kind of spilled out that he has uh, decided to leave that position after probably one of the most successful you know tenures in, in that position and, and a lot of progress there. But I know you've known him for a lot longer than I have, uh, Scott. Yeah, Mac, uh, eight years um, and... Um, had a um, had a great run. I mean, he he was the chairman that oversaw Kevin Republicans ascendant uh, uh, taking over as the plurality uh, you know p- party in Kentucky. It's amazing how far we've come. And, and the change, o- frankly, in the, the house, the, right? the win of the state house, saw the win yeah. in the state house, and saw a lot of a lot of wins yeah. in courthouses across the state. Yeah. Um, you know, won a governor's race, mm-hmm. then lost one, but mm-hmm. but uh, you know, Max. I mean, gosh, I mean. It'd be hard to argue he hasn't been one of the most consequential con- uh, 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 chairman that we've had right. uh, in the history of the party, just in terms of everything that was that moved on his watch. Just one of the more more genial people you ever want to talk to. Uh, Mac and Eileen are just uh, they're just golden, and there's wonderful people. And and frankly, for someone who comes from a legendary family, the Brown family in Kentucky, the Brown foreman. Empire, and for someone really who brought, first of all, he didn't have anything really to gain personally from the service that he gave over the last eight years. He, I mean, he could just retire and just have fun, whatever else, but he wanted to give back. But beyond that, is just for whether it's a, my former role as a reporter or as just, just a schlep now, uh, just being as kind and as generous and as genial and as interested in you as the other titans of industry that he would have access to. So I just appreciate the fact that he was just a very, he's a he's an everyman type of guy. Mac Brown, good job. Congratulations, and we hope you enjoy I your guess, uh, respite. I guess the party is going to meet on December the 9th and um, maybe elect a new chairman on that day, I guess is what will happen. So we'll have a new party chair. Uh, when the party convenes and it's post-election meeting here. Okay, two more for me. Okay. <laughs> Number one is, okay, who is the, uh, the is it is it Judd Apatow, is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah. The, so there's a new, uh, he he produced a um, a mini documentary, like a half an hour long, uh, for, for, the, for the New Yorker, which of course I know you guys read the New Yorker every day. Um, it's on YouTube, just look it up. 
And this, of course, is showing my age again. It is, it's, a, it's a fun little sweet tribute to the best friendship of Bob Newhart and Don Rickles. And uh, Don Rickles passed away a few years ago, but Bob Newhart is still kicking. Uh, and they talk about this, the fact that the, the two of them were best, best, best friends for you know 50 years. And they go through some old home movies and the families together. It's just a very, for two people who are very recognizable. And Bob Newhart, you can't help but like Bob Newhart. Uh, just seeing him talk about that is very sweet. So I just go on the YouTube and, and, yeah. and do a little search there. What's your last one? The last one is... <laughs> <laughs> the latest edition of Kentucky Living Magazine. Whoa! Gonna, and I like last week with Sean. I, I'm, I, I'm handing out props here. I'm sorry <laughs> you're not in person, Jerry, to be able to see it. But if you turn there, Kevin, to uh, to page. Here we go. Page uh, 14. Uh-oh. Uh oh. There's going to be a, a, a big uh, article oh, there. Kentuckians oh. on the national stage, and then on page 15, uh, look 16, at 17, that. There is Scott Jennings on the CNN set. Then there's Scott with uh, several of his uh, uh, compatriots there on the, I think, the Cannon House office building with yeah. the Capitol building there behind you. Also, I should point out the other ones who are featured in here include Pamela Brown, also of CNN. Yep. Uh, you Michael have Michael Eves. Eves of ESPN and then Katie George, also of ESPN. And so you have four people from CNN ESPN who really make Kentucky look great on the national stage, and that's in the latest edition. We'll be arriving in mailboxes across the state that as is, you hear this. That so, is really incredible. Congratulations. Now, we this? have one final scene, Red Herd. Okay. we got to play this song for our own Kevin Grout. <laughs> oh, yes. It's his last show. Yep, Kevin is... Um, this is your last Flyover Country on-air appearance as a member of the panel. Yeah. We may someday get you back as a guest and as a representative of the Attorney General of Kentucky. You'll be the communications director and senior advisor to our friend and friend of the pod, Russell Coleman, who's hired Kevin. And so if you're listening to this podcast on Thursday morning, sometime in the next couple of hours... An announcement will go out that Kevin is uh, joining the government, rejoining the government uh, on in January. So, Kevin, thank you for your service to the podcast, and your you know you were uh, serviceable to Run Switch Public Relations. I, I was a decent occasionally. <laughs> yeah. uh, thank you, Scott. This is this has been an amazing podcast you put together. It's been a real ple- pleasure to be a part of it from day one. Uh, thank you to all the listeners. Uh, shout out to my parents and my mother in law who are religious listeners. Um, this has been great. Yeah. Well, you've been good, and uh, we're going to miss you. We are. I appreciate that Sean can show up for my last show. Sean, but... <laughs> your friend, was not even here. Yeah. Uh, He's raising his Team Kentucky mug. <laughs> He's so to you. He called me like yeah. three times about that. Did he really? <laughs> he was so pissed. <laughs> he was like so angry about it. I legitimately think he's going to smash it over your head. <laughs> So anyway, so well, Kevin, I, know, I know somebody high in law enforcement who can help me out with that. Yeah, do you get a badge, <laughs> by the way? We'll see. Hey, screw around and find out. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All, All right. right, take us out of here, Joe. You take us out of here. For Joe, for Jared, and one last time for Kevin. I'm Scott Jennings. This is Flower Country. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. 
If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Mm-hmm.